have a big cookout and uh, play some softball and some other games. And so we're going to do that with a church plant, new church plant that's just over here in Mainville. So for us to get to know them and uh, just meet them and kind of partner with them for future things. But we want to get to know them. And so we're going to have a cookout. And so if you would bring a side or dessert, uh, we're going to have hamburgers and hot dogs and things like that. Uh, and then uh, bring a glove, bring a bat. Some of you have been like whining to me about your shoulder. All right, ice that thing down, okay? And uh, we're going to have a good time. So that's next Sunday, all right? Uh, and then uh, VBS is coming up soon. VBS is one of the biggest things that we get to do that the community is just going to bring us their kids. Big blow-ups. And one of the things I'm excited about is we got some knocker balls, which are those balls you get in and run into each other and hit each other. So there's a couple of you I'm going to need to go up against, all right? So that's going to be fun. We're going to have a fun time. It's just a time to bring the community out and love on them and, and uh, get to know them and just celebrate summer kind of starting. Uh, and then finally on June 9th, there's a lot going on the first week of June. June 9th, yeah, we uh, are not having Sunday school because uh, a mission team will be staying in our old building. And so no Sunday school. So instead, we're going to have a big family breakfast in here. Uh, maybe a little devotion, but really just time to fellowship and hang out, uh, eat some good food. And so that morning at 930 on June 9th, uh, join us for family breakfast. Y'all got all that? All right. It's in the app and the worship guide and the website and Facebook, all the things. All right, we've sung how we have peace with God, and because we have peace with God, we can have peace with each other. So let's stand and greet each other in the Lord. Distracted my youth. <laughs> Winking at him. All right. All right, guys, let's go. Just like that. Yeah. I'd like to be able to see you guys. Okay, hey, so look real quick. Let me tell you about where we've been, where we're at, and where we're going, uh, because I know you care about those things as deeply as I do. Um, 
So the, we started out the year and we went through the book of Genesis. Uh, and so we spent, I think, 16 weeks walking through Genesis, which was pretty impressive for 50 chapters. But walk through that. Uh, now we've been in a four-week little series to set us up for summer called Entrust. So we finished that today. And then, starting next week, over the course of the summer, we're going to start a new series called One. Where each week we're going to look at one verse and we're just going to exegete or explain that one verse uh, and have one truth that we're going to learn from that verse each and every week. And here's the thing that you get to be a part of is that we're going to call you to memorize that one verse every week. All right. So we're going to print it in the bulletin and uh, call, you know, and maybe if, if you come at the end of it and memorize all 10 of them, you'll get a prize. Maybe like a Snickers or something. <laughs> So that's what we're going to do. Excited about that. And um, it'll be good. So we're finishing Entrusted today. Um, and let, let me just say this. One of the things, I don't know if you've noticed this, but this is really intentional about my convictions about the Bible. Uh, and, and I say this because it's going to be a little different today. But uh, you've noticed every time that I preach, we preach one text. Right, there's one passage, one set of verses that are in order. We preach that text. And so uh, today we're going to look at a couple different ones. And so this is a little unordinary, but my, I will preach them in context and not pull them out of context. But that's my disclaimer for you, for my own sake. All right, y'all ready? Okay, good. So one of the things that's really important to me in my life um, is my uh, grandfather's guitars. My grandfather played guitar, taught me how to play guitar. My dad taught me how to play guitar. Got to play play bluegrass music growing up with him and and uh, and with my dad and playing country music and, learn, and and picking and grinning and all those things. And so my grandpa has all these guitars. He's got a 1954 Gibson Les Paul. Um, got a 1935 acoustic Martin. Bought for at a yard sale for fifteen dollars. Um, Got uh, another newer Martin, got an old Gibson, got all these really nice guitars uh, that will one day be mine. Uh, right now, they're my dad's. Uh, and so me and my dad trade them off. He lets me take some home for a while, and I'll play on these, and I'll give them back, and I'll trade out and get another one. And, uh, and we joke about whose they are and all this stuff. But they matter to me. Uh, they're a part of my heritage. They're a part of my family. They're beautiful. And even though they're worth thousands and thousands of dollars, I will never sell them. Because one day my dad will entrust those guitars to me to look after, to take care of, and to one day pass down to whichever one of my kids learns to play guitar. And so that entrusting those things to me matters, that I want to take care of them, I want to use them well. In the same way, your Father in heaven has entrusted many things to you, things that matter. We've talked about your money it's not really your money that God has entrusted to you. We talked about your children that are not really your children. They're the Lord's children who he's entrusted them to you. Last week, we talked about spiritual gifts that he's entrusted to you, gifts to use. And today, we're going to conclude talking about your time that God has entrusted every minute, second moment of your time to you. You see, time might be something that you've thought about how you ought to steward it, or you may have never considered how best to use your time, but we need to. The Bible is clear on this, that as followers of Jesus, we are not our own, but have been bought with a price in 1 Corinthians. We belong to God. We are not just his children. We are his disciples. We are the ones charged with advancing his mission. 
And so what we do with our time matters because every breath we take is a gift from God. And he has called us to use our time for what's important and what really matters. You might remember that country song, that Tim McGraw song, uh, Live Like You Were Dying. Where in the song, uh, this guy gets sick and he knows he's, he's only got weeks or months to live. And so what does he do? He goes skydiving. He goes rock climbing. Man, see, look at that, look at that. And so this song reminds us that when we face our end, it's like everything comes into perspective. And we know what's really important. And for some, it's to, to go do all the dangerous, scary things that they weren't, didn't have the courage to do. For others, though, it is to finally forgive, as the song says, to forgive those that you've held a grudge on for so long. Maybe it's to spend time with your loved ones and hold them close. Maybe you stop caring so much about what other people think about you because in that moment you finally see that it doesn't actually matter. But facing our own mortality seems to put things in perspective for us. Because it seems that only when we face our end do we realize what matters. And the end seems to put all these things in perspective. We realize all the things in our life that we wasted time on, and then we see all the things in our life that we wish we'd have spent more time on. And so the question that we need to grapple with this morning is how should we think about and use the time that God has entrusted to us? Why why is it that after we come to faith in Christ that he doesn't just take us to heaven? Why is it that he leaves us here for a little time before we spend forever with him? James 4.14 says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James 4.14, let me read again. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. See, when we really let these words sink in, they're kind of jarring to us. Notice the first few words, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You see, we make plans, right? We, we plan what we're going to do tomorrow. We plan what we're going to do next week. We plan what we're going to do in a couple of years. We have all of these great plans, but we are not guaranteed tomorrow, nor do we know what tomorrow will bring. And then he says that we're like a mist, right? That it is here for a little time, but, but then it vanishes, like, like the steam that comes up out of the pot when you're making mac and cheese. I make mac and cheese a lot. And as the steam comes up off the boiling water, it almost as quickly as it appears, it disappears. And what the text is telling us is that that is the span of your life. It's like that. The point is, is that your life is incredibly short. The time that you have on this earth is like the blink of an eye. And it's interesting to us, when you're young, you look and you think, oh man, living 70, 80, 90, 100 years, that is a long time. But the people who are 70 and 80 and 90 and 100 years old, do you know what they will tell you? They will look at you and say, man, life goes by so fast. Enjoy every moment of it. And they, they try to warn us, right? Those people that are that age, they try to warn us and they say, enjoy every moment because it will be gone before you realize it. But young people virtually never listen to that. They think, oh, I have all the time in the world. I'll never be that old. Oh, but you will. 
I remember when I was uh, about 14 years old, I was talking a lot about how I couldn't wait to be 16 so I could drive a car. And I remember saying, I, I wish I was 16 years old. And I was going on and on about it. And I remember my dad telling me, son, don't wish your life away. And I thought, I'm not. I'm just wishing to be two years older so I could drive. But then when you're 16, you wish to be 18. And when you're 18, you can't wait for college. And after college, you can't wait to get married. And after you get married, you can't wait to have kids. And and you just keep wishing it away and wishing it away. And if you really do stop and think for a moment and realize and see, you kind of just realize, man, actually it does go by quite fast. See, sometimes people, they actually do realize that. They realize that uh, they only have so much time here and so they want to do something meaningful with their time here. And, and really what they want is a legacy. They want to be remembered. Right? They, want the, they want their story to be written in the annuals of history. But you know what? I remember and I've met two of my great-grandparents. And I have some memories of them, and I've heard stories about them that fill in the gaps for me about who they were and what they did and those things. And sometimes you can't remember which ones are memories and which ones are stories. It's interesting as I think about that because the one thing I couldn't tell you are their parents' names. I have no idea what their names were. I don't know really anything about them. I don't know where they lived, what they did, where they worked, what the year would have even been. I know nothing about them. I don't even think I've ever seen a picture of them. I'm not even sure if they could take pictures back then. I don't know. And see, here's the hard truth that we must face that your legacy most likely will not be remembered and that in two to three generations, you will be forgotten. And so then we must consider what matters most. What is important? How should we spend the mist that is our life? How should we spend this little time that we have? What should we do with it? We have two options. The first we see in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 3, says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes against the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the visible things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. See, the first way you can spend the, your time, the mist that is your life, is the way Paul contrasts in this passage I just read of who you used to be and who you are now. 
the way you could spend your time in investing in your kingdom and your life and in temporary passions and temporary pleasures. You can invest it in the things that make you temporarily happy now. Have you, have you, some of you have heard this expression, some of you haven't. Have you heard the expression YOLO? Okay, this section has. YOLO is, is you only live once. And so, uh, you know, imagine a guy standing at the edge of a cliff and trying to jump into a lake and he's scared to do it. And all his friends are cheering him on. Eventually he says, YOLO, and he goes, right? You only live once, so might as well jump and just do it, right? And so the, so the idea is, if now is all that matters, you should live it up. If this is all that there is, you should live it up. You should build your own little kingdom here as big as you can. You, if this is all there is, you should not be concerned with what is right and what is wrong. You should be more concerned about what makes you feel good, what brings you happiness, because you only live once, and once it's over, it's over. And so live now while you can. See, you can choose to use your time that way. Getting more and more and more and more and trying to find something to fulfill you. You see, sometimes when we think about people who are living for now, what comes to our mind are the, those, those other people. Right? We think of those other people who are wasting their life on physical things. We think about those people who are wild and crazy, those people who are in the bars on the weekend, the people who are hooking up, the people who are doing all these things. But I don't want you to think about those people. I don't want you to think about how they're wasting their time. I want you to think about your life. And I want you to ask this question about your life. In what ways or areas in your life are you living as if this world is all there is? I want you to look at your life and examine your life and ask and answer this question before the day is over. In what ways or areas in your life are you living as if this world was all there is? When you come home from work and it's been a long day and you're tired and you want to sit in your chair, your chair, and you want to kick back and you want to put the game on or the show TV on and your kids come to you and they say mom or they say dad and they want your attention. They want to talk to you and you just put a show on for them. You say, you just go play. You just want to sit. You just want to sit in the peace and quiet because you've worked hard all day. You deserve to sit down. How are you using your time? How about all the time and energy and money that you invest in your kids' sports program? I feel like I can speak to sports because I played sports year-round and kind of understand that world. How is your time being invested? How are you thinking about investing in, in only what is here as if all this world, if this world is all that there was, and you think about all the time and energy you spend in sports? How much extra time do you spend at work when you could be home? How much time do you spend keeping busy and just doing stuff when you could be spending that time with your spouse? One of the things my phone has started doing, which is quite annoying, is it sends me this report uh, on Sundays uh, of, of how much activity I've spent in all the different areas on my phone. And so social media, blank percentage, so many hours, you know, uh, all the different categories of all the different ways I've used it. Well, think about this. What if you got a report at the end of every week on how you used your time? What would that report tell you? Would the results shock you? Is your time mostly spent on yourself? 
Is it spent building your kingdom? It, is your time being wasted? Is your time being spent in such a way that it looks like this, that you believe this world is all that there is? See, you can spend time on the here and now, or the second option is you can spend it with eternity in view. The phrase we read in Ephesians, Paul uses the same, the same exact phrase in Colossians. Colossians 4, verse 5, and he says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. You want to know how you steward the time God has entrusted to you wisely? How you think about the time in your day and how you should use it? It's not necessarily that you have to change your activities. Hear me say this. It's not that you've got to really change what, you're, what, what things you're doing necessarily. It's not that you're not allowed to have fun, right? Like literally God wants you to enjoy this creation that he's made. He wants you to enjoy the world he's made. He wants you to have fun with your family. He wants you to enjoy life. He want, you, you still need to go to work. You should still let your kids play sports. You should still go on vacation, have fun with your family. But you should do all those things with eternity in view. So the question for us this morning is how do we let our kids play sports and how do we go to work and how do we go on vacation and how do we do the things at home that we do with eternity in view? How do we do all the same things that we do now, not from the lens that this is all there is, but through the lens that eternity is coming? What does that even mean? It means that the things are not the end in themselves. The things are not the end means your job is not the end. The sports team is not the end. That family fun is not the ultimate goal. Your hobby is not the end. Rather, what if you saw the things that you do, not as the end or the goal, but as another opportunity? As Paul just said in Colossians, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. What if you came home from work tired? You want to sit in your chair, but instead you found the energy to invest in the lives of those who matter most in your family, your children. What if you saw your kids' sports teams not as you reliving the glory days through them, but you saw it as a way to teach your kids about teamwork or whatever, but also to invest in the other families on the sports team. Think about this. What if you modeled for all the other parents on your kid's team what Christ-likeness really looks like? What if you were intentional while you sat on the bleachers watching the game to get to know all of the other parents and to invest in their lives and to love on them, to serve them, and I don't know, something a little crazy, talk to them about Jesus? What if you saw that as an opportunity to love on them and serve them and share the gospel with them. See, that's what it means to have eternity in view. Because your kid most likely ain't making it to college to play ball. And if they do, that will come to an end too. And when that comes to an end, what next? If you change some lives along the way, if you built deep, lasting relationships, if you were able to disciple people at the side of the ball field. You see, if you're able to do those things, that work doesn't come to an end. Rather, it ripples on into eternity. It has lasting effect. And the same goes for every area in your life. 
at work? Do you put your head down, get your business done, stay in your cubicle, do what you got to do, and go home? Or do you leverage the relationships you have at work to advance the gospel? Do you leverage the friendships you have at work to love and serve and tell people about Jesus? Do you take the time to invest in your coworkers to love them and serve them? See, the only way to do that is when you have eternity in view, you become intentional. Intentional means you actually think about, oh, you know what? I have this platform. I have this platform. I've got to go to work anyway, so how do I view my work with eternity in view? Having, a, having eternity in view simply means that you view er, every area of your life, everything that you do, and you ask the question, what about this will last? What about this that I am doing will last? What am I doing here that just won't pass away? What, what, what am I doing here that matters to the kingdom of God that will be here forever? You know what I have a hard time doing? I have a hard time getting my head out of this thing. I love sitting down and just looking at it. Sometimes I have nothing to do on it, but I just keep going back through the same apps because I feel, feel like eventually I'll find something else to do on it. And sometimes I know in my head I should get up off this couch, get up my head out of my phone, and go invest in love on my kids, but I just sit there. I just sit there, and even though I know that for, the, for not just for their futures, but for their eternity, it matters that I invest in them, but it's easier to sit there. It's easier to scroll endlessly through Facebook. I know that I only have a few years to make an impact on my children. But sometimes I believe the lie that says, I'll get to that in a minute. I believe the lie that says, I'll have more time to do those things later. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, James tells us. The question is, how are you investing your time today with eternity in view? Do you know why Jesus had to die? Because he knew that we would be so foolish with our time. He had to die because he knew we would not invest our time the way we should, but we would live in the moment. We would live for ourselves. We would want to build our own kingdoms up. We would want to live for our passions, for the things that make us feel good. And we would not live always for the world that he's building. But because he gave his life, because he took our sin and paid the price for it on the cross, moms, dads, friends, teachers, followers of Jesus, you do not have to live in regret for the wasted time that you have wasted. You do not have to live in guilt and shame for the time that you have failed to use your time wisely. Every one of us in this room have not used our time in the way we should have. But if you are in Christ, what the gospel says of you is that his mercies are new every morning and you get a fresh light every morning. Every morning you get a fresh light to use your time again for his kingdom. But church, if we're going to make a difference in this community, like Kimmy said, if we are actually going to do all these things I talk about, push back darkness, transform our community, transform our neighborhoods, if we're going to do that, do you know how that's going to happen? It's not going to happen because we've got a great church service. It's not going to happen through me. It is only going to happen when you take ownership 
when you take your time at work, at home, where you play, where you hang out, on the ball field, wherever you go, and you are intentional, and you see everything that you do through the lens of eternity, and you say, I'm going to be at this ball field anyway. I'm going to be at this cubicle anyway. What can I do that impacts eternity? I love flying on airplanes because there's someone strapped to a seat for a couple hours beside me and they can't get away. And, and I have an easy way in because I'll say, hey, what do you do? And I'll listen for a while. And then they'll say, well, what do you do? And I'll say, funny you should ask. <laughs> I'm a pastor. So now you know we got to do this, right? And then we get to spend the rest of the time talking about Jesus. Find a way in. It's only awkward to start. And it's awkward to start. Well, it's not a lot. It's a little awkward. But once you get in, people are starving and hungry because they were made for him. They were made to follow Jesus and they don't have him. So how can you live with eternity in view? How do you live with your children with eternity in view? How do you live at work with eternity in view? How do you live on the ball field with eternity in view? If you want to take following Jesus seriously and you want to see our community transformed, you must use your time. You must be intentional and you must start seeing every relationship, every conversation, every moment as an opportunity to invest in someone else's eternity. You see, some of the things that you invest your time in will rot and pass away. So let's invest our time in the things that will never end. Because as it turns out, your life is not actually short at all. In fact, your life will never end. The question becomes not what did you build here for yourself. The question is what did you do that will ripple into eternity and last forever? What will you do that will be remembered longer than the two generations when your name is forgotten? What will you do that will matter for the next trillion years as we live and celebrate in the kingdom of God. See, God has entrusted you with your time. It's not your time. It's his, and he's given it to you. What will you do with it? If you willed it well, these few measly 80 years, you could build something that lasts for eternity. So the question is, will you spend your time investing here or will you spend your time investing there forever? Church, I want to do something a little different this morning. I've been thinking about our community, thinking about our neighborhoods, thinking about all the lost people around us. I just want to invite us to pray. I I want to invite us to come forward. If you would here in just a moment, I want to ask you to come up here I want us to kneel down together, and I just want us to pray that God would use our time. He would use our weaknesses. He would use our strength. He would use our, all the things that we just try to throw up against the wall and make stick. He would give us boldness. He would give us courage, and that the gospel would be powerful as we share it with our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers. So I'm going to pray. Nathan's going to come up here. He's going to play some music, and I just want to then to invite you to come up here, and let's pray together for our city. Because if we don't pray, we should not expect God to do anything. And so let's pray that he, let's pray big, that he would do mighty things here. That he would use our feeble attempts to do them.
Father, we come to you right now. And Lord, I pray that you would put on our hearts and minds a boldness, a courage, and a longing, a desperation to make you known and to see our city transformed. God, would you help us to invest our time and our energy rightly in our families, in our, in our schools, in our jobs, on the ball field, everywhere we go. God, as we get ready to come up, God, would you, would you use these people here, this local church called Fellowship, to do this work? Church, I want to invite you now to come on up. If you would, if you feel led, come up here to pray for our church and for the gospel to go powerful in our cities and our neighborhoods. Come on out. Come on now. God, as your people gather here right now, the fact that we are choosing to take this moment to get out of our seats and to come kneel before you, the fact that we are praying to you is a confession that we need you. That no matter how good our efforts are, they would all be in vain if you do not work. So God, we come to plead with you this morning that as you've called us on mission, as you've called us to use our time to give it to you to serve your kingdom, God, that you would empower us, that you would use us. God, we don't deserve to be used by you. That's for sure. But, but God, we're asked that by your mercy and your grace that you would. Father, give our church a heart for the gospel, a passion and a boldness for our neighbors, for our community, for our city. See it made new. God, we pray for our neighbors. Pray for those people around this church now who don't know you, who are far from you. Pray for those people who are lost and dying and are headed to hell. God, we pray that even now you begin softening their heart. We pray that even now you begin opening their eyes. We pray that you would put someone, someone from our church, someone from another church in their path to share the gospel with them, to share about the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And we pray that that truth would pierce their heart and would give them new eyes and new ears and new hearts and you would make them new and you would transform them and you would give them a hope and endurance and you would give them new hearts. How would you give us the courage and the boldness to start up conversations? 
whether it be at the bleachers or at work or with our children. God, use us and make much of yourself. Make much of your own glory through fellowship as we try to love on and serve our city. God, you've entrusted so much to us that help us to steward it all wisely for your kingdom and for your glory. God, we are here this morning kneeled before you because we can't do it without you. You've called us to this task. We know you will empower us to do it. We are your people. We place ourselves in your hands. We ask you to mold us, have your way with us. We would not live for ourselves, but we would live for you and for your kingdom and for what you're doing. We love you. We pray these things in the name of the crucified and risen Christ and all of his people said. Let's stand and sing this last song together.
rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. And I will trust in Him no other, my soul is satisfied. Trust in him no other, my soul is satisfied in him alone. You Two wonders here I confess My worth and my unworthiness My value fixed, my ransom paid At the cross And I rejoice in my Trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. My soul is satisfied in Him things that we're striving to do here is make our membership as a part of this church very meaningful. I've been to a lot of churches where they'll have 5,000 people on the rolls and 200 in attendance. Well, that means membership, membership doesn't mean much. So that's not what we want here. And so this morning we are welcoming some new families into our midst Families that I've met with and talked to and talk, heard their testimonies and, and talked to them about what, what we expect of members. They are serving and contributing and being a part of this body and a family and holding one another accountable and all these things. So I want to invite them up now. If that's one of you and you're a new member, come stand up. Come on up now. That would be the Weavers, the Tedricks, the Youngs, Ryan. Yeah, you're a new member too, actually. <laughs> Y'all just stand up here. Yeah. So we want to covenant together. And so I'm going to read just kind of a part of our church covenant that I've broken down to be a little more readable. And I want you to respond after I read this by saying, by the grace of God, we will. Okay? So here it is. Will you put Jesus first in all areas of your life? Wait, I'll get through the whole thing. Sorry. 
Will you put Jesus first in all areas of your life? Will you use the Bible as your guide to life and godliness? Will you contribute to serve, uh, contribute to and serve this body of believers? And will you partner with us in advancing the gospel? And will you make these people your family in the Lord? Now, church, this is to you. Please respond by saying, by the grace of God, we will. Church, will you seek their good, pray for them, love and serve them? And will you receive these members as your brothers and sisters in the Lord? By the grace of God, we will. As we end today, I want you to invite you to come up, and uh, if you haven't met them, introduce yourself, hug their neck, shake their hand, welcome them as official members and part of our family. Uh, as we leave here, please do that. We do not have to stack chairs anymore because it's summertime. Amen. That is a good thing. And finally, if you are a guest this morning, I would love to meet you. I'm going to be standing right here in the back middle. I'd love to shake your hand, hear your name real quick, and just get to meet you. But let's, let's go out of here. Peace be with you. Thank you.